The Pastor Study will help you find those answers through God's Word. Our teacher today is Pastor Tom Brock. The Pastor Study is sponsored by pastorstudy.org. So grab your Bible and join us for The Pastor Study. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. On this program, we're going to talk about the power of Jesus' resurrection, that because he was raised, we too one day will be raised. And I think here's kind of a picture of the resurrection. When I was a little boy, my brother and I had these little guns called pea shooters. And you'd put these little peas into the gun, and you'd, Mark and I would run around the backyard shooting each other. <laughs> But after, I think, maybe a couple years, Dad banned the pea guns because every spring we'd have all these pea plants sprouting up all over the ground. So Dad said, no more. And, and that's kind of what the, the resurrection of Christ did. When Jesus rose from the dead, he guaranteed that one day, all over the world, people would be popping out of the ground on Resurrection Day uh, to, to meet Christ. So what I want us to do is to learn all we can about the resurrection from the dead today. The chapter for that in the New Testament is Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you could grab your Bible, turn in the New Testament to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and let's hear what the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians about the resurrection that we'll be part of someday. But let's pray first. Father, we want to pray for anyone listening to this program who has not yet put their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and for their resurrection, that somehow, Lord, whatever is keeping anyone from Christ, you would overcome that, give them the Holy Spirit, and bring them to faith in Jesus. And now, Lord, speak to us about what happened when he rose from the dead and what it means for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Paul the Apostle writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the word gospel means good news, which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are saved. Here's the first lesson I want you to get. The gospel saves you. The good news of Christ is what saves you. If you stop ten people on the street and say, Do you think you're going to heaven? Nine out of ten will say, Well, yes, I do. Well, why do you think you're going to heaven? And again, nine out of ten people will say, well, because I think I'm a basically good person. No, no, no. You're not a basically good person. You're like me. You're a sinner. You deserve hell. What saves us is not our goodness. The only thing that saves us is the gospel. And look what, it says, what Paul says in verse 2. Uh, By which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here's the next lesson. You have to hold fast the gospel to be saved. I'm a Lutheran. Let me tell you what the Lutheran heresy is. The Lutheran heresy is, I was baptized as a baby, so I'm saved. That's a heresy. Let me tell you what the Baptist heresy is. I prayed the prayer and I asked Jesus into my heart, so I'm saved. No, no. This verse says you have to hold fast the gospel till you die to be saved. Verse 3, 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Big important lesson. Here it is. What saves us, what the gospel is, is Christ's death and resurrection. Let me repeat that. What gets you into heaven is not you being good, because you're not. What gets you into heaven is one thing, that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. That and only that is what will save you. So, you know, let's say you have a friend, you want to bring them to Christ. What do you tell them? What do you talk about? Well, you don't do what I used to do. You don't argue evolution. You don't argue Adam and Eve. You don't bring up Noah and the flood or Jonah and the if you want to convert someone, you talk about the cross and the resurrection. I grew up in Omaha with a couple atheist buddies, and for years we would argue evolution versus Adam and Eve, and I got nowhere with them. Finally, a friend says, Tom, just share the gospel. Tell them about Christ's death for their sins, his resurrection from the dead. And I went to both David and Jeff, and I said, if you give me five minutes with you, I'll never bring up Christianity again. And they said, okay. And I shared the gospel that we're all sinners. God loved us so much, he became a human being. He lived the perfect life we couldn't. Died on the cross to pay for our sins, rose from the dead, and if you believe in him, you'll be saved. That night, David became a Christian. Jeff didn't, but David did. And I learned something. If you want to convert someone, you don't argue evolution. You talk the cross and the resurrection. I mean, years ago, a buddy of mine called me and said, Tom, there are some philosophy majors at the U of M, and they want some Christians to come present the gospel so they can argue with it. I don't want to go alone. Will you go with me? <laughs> I said, okay. And my buddy Dean and I drove across Minneapolis, and we prayed in the car before we got out, Lord, help us stick to the gospel, the cross and the resurrection. May we stick to the gospel. So we go up and we ring the doorbell. And there's about six atheist philosophy majors that are, and they warmly invite us in. You could sure smell the marijuana all over the house. But okay, tell us what you Christians believe. And my buddy Dean did a good job. He had, I think, a big piece of paper, and he drew, drew this picture that we're all sinners, but God loves us. He comes down to earth and if, dies on the cross to pay for our sins, rose from the dead. And as soon as he gets done with the gospel, one of the atheists says, well, but how do you expect me to believe that somebody lived three days and three nights in the belly of a whale? You know, Jonah, no Jonah could live. You know, the gastric juices would destroy him within minutes, and there's no way Jonah and the whale is true. And my buddy Dean says, look, I believe in Jonah and the, the big fish. It never says it's a whale, by the way. I believe in Jonah and the big fish. God can do anything, but you don't have to believe in Jonah to be saved. What the Bible says, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus to be saved, that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. And then another atheist pipes in, well, you know, how can you expect us to believe that two of every species got on the ark? How can one ark hold all the species of the world? And there's no way. And I pipe in. I said, well, I don't think God has a problem populating the ark, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if you don't, but, you know, you don't have to believe in Noah and the ark to be saved. What the Bible says, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus to be saved, that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Well, Every time they wanted to take us to a different subject, we just kept preaching the gospel, the cross and the resurrection. And I wish you could have been in that room. It was starting to hit. So I don't know what they ever did with it, but boy, did they hear it. And they were getting rather serious. <laughs> My point is, it's only the gospel that will save people. 
So if you want to convert a relative or a friend, you talk to them about Jesus dying for our sins, rising from the dead. Look at verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Here's the next lesson. There have always been heretics in the church. There have always been false teachers in the church. Back in, in Paul's day, there were heretics in the Corinthian church saying, there will be no resurrection of the dead. Today, mamma mia, do we have heretics in the Christian church. Let me quickly give you some heresies. Heresy number one is called universalism. Everybody will go to heaven. There's no hell. God is too much of a softball for that. Everybody goes to heaven. It's nice if you believe in Jesus, but you don't have to. There are preachers preaching. You don't need Christ to be saved. It's called universalism. Let me give you another heresy in the church today. It's called moral relativism. Abortion is okay. I can live with my boyfriend. Homosexuality is okay because we know more than the biblical writers knew. <laughs> no, you don't. Nobody knows more than the Holy Spirit who inspired the biblical writers. It's called moral relativism. Let me give you another heresy. The New Age movement. The New Age movement has invaded the church. There are... There are Catholic nuns and there are Protestant uh, churches that are you know, doing yoga and doing Tai Chi and doing, you know, Oprah said some time ago, and Oprah says she's a Christian, and here's a quote, I used to believe Jesus came to the earth to die for our sins. Now I understand that's not right. He came to get us in touch with our own inner Christ consciousness. Jesus did not, and the point is, the New Age movement teaches we are God, we are the Christ consciousness. Jesus was, but so are we. No, we're not. And one more weird teaching heresy that's invaded the church is goddess worship. If you go to herchurch.org, you'll get a Lutheran church out in San Francisco where the woman pastor is preaching and, and praying to the goddess because it's sexist to pray to God the Father. So she's praying to the goddess. She even had, get this, she even had women at a retreat make a little statue of Asherah, the Canaanite goddess that uh, Jews were told not to worship. She, you know, it's, it's sad that we've banned God the mother, the goddess. So she has to make a little Asherah statue. Listen, that's what the prophet said. You've got to destroy those things. <laughs> anyway, my point is, heresy is all over the church, but it even started back when Paul was writing to the Corinthians. It's always been with us. Verse 13. Paul writes, but if there is no resurrection of the dead like these heretics are saying, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found, we the apostles, are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, who have died in Christ, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Here's the next lesson. Without Christ's resurrection, there is no hope. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there is no hope. You're not going to rise from the dead either. Way back in the Middle Ages, the very tip of Africa was called the Cape of Storms because no sailor had sailed beyond that point and explored the other side and come back alive to talk about it because of all the storms in the area. 
But one day an explorer did. He sailed past the Cape of Storms, explored the other side, and made it safely back, coming back and saying, there's good hope. There's a wonderful land on the other side. That's a picture of Christ's resurrection. Before Jesus rose from the dead, death was the Cape of Storms. You didn't know what was on the other side of that grave. But on the resurrection day, Jesus died, and for three days he explored the other side, came back from death to tell us there is good hope <laughs> that in me you can have eternal life. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Here's the next lesson. Because Jesus rose, we will too. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we will too. That's what first fruits mean. Jesus was the first, but that guarantees the first fruits in Jewish language means there's going to be a whole harvest coming. Do you know this is true? They found an ancient Egyptian tomb from 2000 BC. They went inside and they found all these artifacts, but they found a little jar, and in the jar were a bunch of little peas that had been sitting in that tomb for uh, about 3,000 years. Some scientists took these hard peas, planted them under a pane of glass, and 3,000 years later, they sprouted back to life. That's what's going to happen because Jesus rose from the dead. When you're planted in the grave on your uh, funeral day, one day, all over the world, people that have been dead for 3,000 years, they're going to sprout up. That's what first fruits means in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. Verse 21. For as by a man, he's talking about Adam now, came death, by a man, talking about Jesus now, has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his second coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power. For he, Jesus, must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And here's the last lesson for this show today. Jesus will overcome death for us. The last enemy of your life that Jesus will overcome, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 26, is death. And you know... Uh, I've been a pastor 31 years. I've done lots of funerals. And death is just depressing, and it's kind of a kick in the stomach. And maybe you've had a loved one die recently, and you just know death is a cold, awful, dark thing. Hallelujah for the resurrection of Christ from the dead, which guarantees our resurrection someday. You know, I, I, I've shared this on TV before, but let me do it again. We had a lady named Gertrude from our church who was dying in the hospital. And we had a Wednesday night prayer meeting and I said to the people gathered, let's pray for Gertrude. And we closed our eyes and we prayed and this one woman was praying for God to heal Gertrude. And I, I, I won't call it a vision, but when this woman was praying, I got this picture in my head of Gertrude in this dark, kind of dirty room, standing before a closed door. And on the other side of the door was this beautiful paradise. But our prayers for her healing were pulling her back into the dark room. And, you know, when, when the lady got done with her prayer, I shared that with the whole church that night. I said, you know, and I told them what I just told you. I said, if we could see what's on the other side of that door, 
we'd let Gertrude go. And she did go. You know, she died shortly after that. Uh, what, what the glory of, of the resurrection of Christ is, is that because he rose from the dead, one day he'll overcome death for us. And on your funeral day, he'll raise you from the dead. I mean, I, I close with this. Here's a little girl whose house was on the far side of the graveyard. So when she'd skip home from school every day, she'd skip through the graveyard all by herself to get to her house. An older man saw this every day, and finally he, he stopped the little girl and said, Little girl, aren't you afraid to walk through this big graveyard all by yourself? And she said, No, sir, because my home is right on the other side. You are going to go into the graveyard someday. It's a lot easier to go into that graveyard if you know that your home is right on the other side. And the only way you will know for sure that your home will be heaven and not hell is Jesus. Do you trust him? Are you trusting him and his grace for the forgiveness of your sins? You know, uh, something I did this week, I kept all the letters I got in college. So I have a big box of letters that I got in college. And one of them is from my Jewish roommate. I would ask you to pray for Hal. He and I were roommates in college, and I shared the gospel with Hal. I sent him a little Christian for spiritual law, how to be saved book. And I, I, here I am many years later, and I'm reading this letter that I got in 1973. Dear Tom, thank you for sending the book. I don't agree with it. I don't like the thought that you have to believe in Jesus to be saved. That's too narrow. There's all kinds of ways, etc. You know, I, I, and I, I read that this week, and I prayed for Hal. Because Hal still, I talked to him on a rare occasion, he has no idea where he's going when he dies. He never thinks about that kind of thing. He's just as lost as he can be. Listen, when you go into the grave, it's sure a lot easier going into your funeral knowing you've got a home right on the other side. And if you've never accepted Christ, if you've never said, God, I am a sinner, I do need Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, rise from the dead. If you've never done that, take some time, pray to God this week, and turn your life over to Jesus Christ. Then find a good church and start going every Sunday. Start reading your Bible every day. And the glory of knowing Jesus is we know that on the other side of the grave, we got a home. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture, his insights, and answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Our first questions today, Pastor Brock, have to do with some kind of lifestyle things and whether they're wrong or right. Okay. For example, is it a sin to drive 65 if the sign says 55? <laughs> Can I tell a quick joke? Sure. So, there is a carload of nuns driving 30 miles an hour down the interstate. And the policeman pulls her over and, you know, Madam, is the, you have to go at least 45. You can't go 30. And he says, well, look, no, look at that sign. It says 30. And he says, well, no, Madam, that's, that's the interstate number. That's not the speed limit. He shines the light into the back seat and here's four nuns, white as a ghost. Uh, Sisters, is something wrong? Why are you so scared? Well, we just came off Highway 155. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, but Jackie, is it a sin to drive 65 if it says 55? I remember many years ago sitting in my Bethel College Romans class. When we got to Romans chapter 13, 
where it says you obey the government because God has put the government into effect. It says, I mean, the, the professor said, if you speed, you're breaking the government. You're breaking this verse here in Romans chapter 13. I haven't been able to speed in a full conscience, Jackie, ever since. I think if it says 55, God wants you to go 55. Overwhelmingly, if you read Romans 13, God puts the government law, even pagan government. And what Paul wrote, when Paul wrote Romans 13, he was talking about the pagan Roman government was instituted by God to keep order in society. So there are exceptions in Acts 4. The government tells Peter and John to be quiet about the gospel, and they said, no, we got to obey God rather than man. So there are exceptions, but generally, overwhelmingly, we're to obey the government. Okay. <clears throat> Pastor Brock, some churches forbid dancing or playing cards or going to the movies. Is there anything in the Bible about this? You know, no. I mean, we're Lutherans, and there, is, there are a most people who are Lutheran in the United States are ELCA, this big liberal Lutheran church. There are smaller uh, Lutheran denominations, and some of them can get a little legalistic. Um, but the, I mean, does it say anywhere in the Bible you can't dance? No. A David danced before the Lord. But on the other hand, Jackie, I don't know if you've seen recent dances, but sometimes some of these senior proms get positively obscene. If in, the, in the news the last few years, they've been banning certain type of dancing because it becomes so sexual. So I think that's, so you don't want to do, you don't want to get into legalism. Is it a sin to go to movies? No. Is it a sin to go to most movies? I'd say yes. <laughs> you got to be very careful what movies you go to, but a, blank, a blanket ban of card playing, biblically, I don't see such a thing. Well, they tossed lots for Jesus' yeah, thing. And, for his garments. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, actually, in, that was probably considered a pagan thing. Yeah, but in the Old Testament, they cast lots, and that was from the Lord, it says. Okay. So. Um, okay. I also know of a church where they believe that you can only be saved if you're a member of this denomination. Yeah. What's your view of this, and how do you answer somebody that says unless you join this church. You know, I won't tell you the name of it, but I have in my mind a very conservative uh, church, Protestant church, and they are the only true church. And I don't know how often they say it, but you sure get the impression if you're not a member of their denomination, you're not saved. It's a very small denomination, and I won't tell you the name because maybe I'm not being fair, but beware of any group that tells you they're the only true Christians on earth. And this can slip into all kinds of denominations. I mean, Jackie, when I was 13, I was raised Lutheran. I'm sitting in my Lutheran confirmation class. The, the Lutheran pastor is speaking not so fondly of the Roman Catholics. My dad was a Roman Catholic. So I put my hand up. Well, Pastor Ruff, will there just be Lutherans in heaven? <laughs> and I remember he paused and he finally said, I think there will be other denominations up there. <laughs> and he was a Lutheran, a Missouri Synod Lutheran. So, you know, the, the thing that saves us is Christ. There are Catholics that are going to heaven. There are Catholics that are going to hell. There are Lutherans that are going to heaven. There are Lutherans that go to hell. What determines your salvation is, are you trusting Christ uh, for this, the salvation of your soul? But there are some churches, too, like you mentioned just now, the Missouri Synod. There are very strict rules in the Missouri Synod, like if I was an AFLC Lutheran went to their church, I couldn't go to communion at a Missouri Synod Church, I right? Know. I think, here's the deal, I think they're a little too strict on that. I think what I would, and you know, Jackie, the, in one sense I, I'll defend them. 
They want to make sure that people are taking communion know that this is a serious thing. You need to be sorry for your sins. You need to believe in Christ's presence. You know, this is my body, this is my blood. You need to take this very seriously. So I applaud them for that. But Jackie, I went to a Missouri Synod Church a while ago, and I told them I'm a conservative Christian, et cetera, et cetera. I happen to be part of the Free Lutheran Church. Can I take communion here? The point was no. <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, I told them I believe basically just like they do. But So I think on certain things, Missouri Synod can be a little too sticky as can the Wisconsin Senate. Right, yeah. and Wisconsin Senate really has a lower opinion of where, what a woman's role is. And right. they, they're even more conservative than the Missouri Senate. So again, I, I'd much rather be Wisconsin or Missouri Senate than ELCA liberal Lutheran, but every- That's a e whole show in itself, every Tom. Church we don't has have time problems. for you to say what. <laughs> one more quick one on this, though, before we end today. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 5:42, "Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you." What does this mean to people? I work in downtown Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. There are people asking for money on every street corner. Yeah. yeah. What do you do? How do well, you? Well, here's the way I respond. Does that verse, when Jesus says, "Give to him who asks of you, do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you," I think that means generally we should be very generous people. If we, haven't, if we haven't given money to the Lord or to his people or to, to causes for Christ lately, something's wrong. We need to be generous. If somebody stumbles up to me with booze on their breath, though I haven't going to give them money so they can go get some more booze? I don't think so, and I think I can defend this. Let me just d defend it here. If you remember, somebody in Luke chapter 12 came up to Jesus and said, make my brother divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus says, no. Who made me a judge over you? You beware of covetousness. So that's, there's somebody that asked Jesus for something, and Jesus said, no. You've got in Acts chapter 3, the lame man that wants money out of Peter and Paul. They say no. Instead, they heal him. They heal his legs. So St. Augustine, back in the 400s, said, we are to give ev to everyone who asks, but it doesn't say to give them what they ask for. We may give a kindly rebuke. We may give a word of encouragement. So we do give to everyone who asks, but if, if, if your child, Jackie, wants poison to drink, you don't give them poison. You know, so I think, and also one other verse on this, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, He that does not work, neither let him eat. In other words, in the church back then, if you wouldn't work, you weren't getting money out of the church. I mean, my, my mom used to quote that verse to my brother and I. You know, if you guys don't work, you're not going to eat. You know, and that's from Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Okay, Pastor Brock, just real quickly, mm -hmm. your ministers, ministry is moving on. Do you want to tell anything we're, about it? We're expanding, God willing, now to some other cities. And so we want to encourage people, if you would pray for our ministry now as we're trying to get to South Dakota, maybe North Dakota, pray for this new ministry. If the Lord nudges you to support our ministry, there'll be a, a phone number and an address. Go to our website, pastorstudy.org, and, and please pray for us. All of this is going to be coming up at the end of the show. We want to thank you for being with us this week. We pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Pastor's Study. We ask, would you pray for our ministry as we seek to spread the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ? And would you pray about supporting this ministry? address is 
The Pastor Study, 5200 Emerson Avenue North, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55430. Our website is pastorstudy.org. And our phone number is 763-260-4484. May God richly bless you and join us next week at the same time as we study God's Word. Until then, may the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you.